BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. My family thinks I'm crazy. A podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? gentlemen welcome to the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast i'm your host mystic mark and today we've got an amazing guest but first i just want to take a moment to say on the day of this recording as i'm speaking right now it is my birthday i officially am 29 years old yes thank you thank you oh thank you no need for applause. I really didn't do anything. So, uh, yeah, just wanted to say today is my birthday. If it's your birthday too, that's awesome. Um, but wish me a happy birthday with a one-time donation or by signing up on Patreon and or Substack to support the show. Uh, you can do that by going to our website, myfamilythinksomecrazy.com. 
you can go to the link in the description wherever you're listening to this episode and click Patreon or Substack, or you can send us a one-time donation on Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, buy me a coffee, Ko-Fi, and you can even send me Bitcoin if you're so inclined. Uh, But support the podcast you know and love, you listen to every week. And for my birthday... I'm going to give you guys a very special third episode this week, although um, the episode prior was a little short, a little brief. Uh, This is technically a three for three week, so I hope you like it. I hope you enjoy this awesome conversation with my friend Amish Phil, who recently saw a UAP. So go and follow him at the Amish Inquisition, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, wish me a happy birthday on Instagram, Telegram, or wherever you get in contact with the show, mfticpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send me an email. And I am going to be making a Slack community for the supporters. This is going to be like a, uh, a research group type thing. So if you want to participate in the show if you want to contribute to research moving forward just get in touch with me via email rewind if you need to hear my email again and i will add you to the slack community uh first and foremost supporters get first in but i think anybody who wants to contribute research should be welcome so uh yeah that's about it for my little intro here the extended uh, non-supporter intro If you don't want to hear me add or promote the show or do any of this kind of stuff, go and support the show. You get a completely different RSS feed that gives you access to the supporters-only side of the show where you don't hear ads, you don't hear me promoting this kind of stuff. You just hear the interview, my questions, and my thoughts on the show. So, uh, yeah, if that's more your thing, do sign up on Patreon, Substack, or check out our Rockfin channel. Although it's a little different, that's just the video episode. And enjoy this conversation with Amish Phil. All right, happy birthday to me. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the show. We're almost at 3 million downloads, and I love you all. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are back again on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. Times! the Amish Inquisition, because our highly esteemed guest, who's back yet again, uh, Amish Phil. Welcome back to the show, brother. I am excited to have you back on. I feel like we are doing a sort of every six months is the going. We have a, a podcast. I don't know if it's been that long since our last podcast, but I was fortunate enough to meet your other halves on the Amish Inquisition last time we spoke. And this time, it's just you and I. You just sort of half met my friend Alex, who's too shy to jump on camera here. But but yeah, let's let's get into it. For folks who might not have heard your previous appearances on the show, tell us a little bit about the Amish Inquisition. Give people a little, I don't know, a little intro, because I'm going to link it in the description. I definitely recommend folks go and subscribe if they haven't already. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me again, Mark. I was thinking before, like, we have very similar tastes, you and I, in guests. You know, we were chatting on Telegram a few weeks ago, and who was it? Oh, Stobbs. I wanted you to hook me up with Stobbs. And I'm I'm particularly interested when I hear UK guests on your show, because 
our audience is mainly in the UK and um, it, it's easier with like time zones and shit for me. It's easier to organise when we have uh, guests on the UK. So yeah, we were chatting about that. And uh, yeah, so if you like the kind of guests Mark gets on, you'll probably like a lot of our guests as well. I suppose the big difference is ours is like a, it's a bit of a hybrid really. The first hour is a guest interview like Mark does all the time. And then the second half, it's a bit like, it's almost like, um, did you used to call them morning zoo yeah. radio shows? Uh, yeah. It's a bit, it's not like that, but it's stupid and silly and there's news and jingles and sort of a bit like, you know, if you mashed up Grimerica and OBDM, I used to say. It was a bit like that. But obviously it's English, so it's, you know, we have a different take, a slightly different sense of humour and and that sort of thing. So, yeah, so we do we do one a week. We, we're not as prolific as you, Mark. We just do one episode a week. And we live stream it as well. That's something we've started doing regularly over the last sort of 12 months. 12, nearly 18 months. So we've built this sort of live slot, 8pm UK time on Sunday. And so we get a lot of the same names and YouTube handles coming in and joining in and jumping in on the chat. And we just recorded episode on Sunday, this Sunday gone was episode 298. So we're coming up to 300 a week on Sunday. Wow. So I don't know what we're going to do. Right on. And that's probably so much. That's a big number considering you put out one a week. Have you, you've always put out one a week, right? So that means you've been doing this for about six years. Yeah. Wow. Right on, man. Yeah. It was August 2017, I think when we started. I put out I mean, so we, many episodes that when I got to 300, I was like, what am I going to celebrate again? I got to just move past this. Got to go to 500. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, August 2017 we started. So, yeah, it's a milestone. We, I haven't booked a guest and we've no idea what we're going to do. We did think about maybe having a phone-in, mm-hmm. trying having a phone-in show or something like that. I don't know. Well, we're just going to probably just wing it. And just, just get drunk, probably, and enjoy ourselves without the stress of having to worry if the roadcast is going to work or OBS or Zoom and all these technical snafus that you have when you do this this shitty thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I have I heard recently something about a being, I don't know if it's, this is the same term, but have you ever heard of the Bogart? Yeah. Like they're the little like house spirits that mess with your stuff? Are they not from Harry Potter? <laughs> well, I, I'm sure Harry Potter, I'm sure J.K. Rowling took a bunch of stuff from yeah. you know, folklore and whatnot. But yeah, there is the Dobbies or whatever are that same thing. But uh, I feel like there's a modern um, iteration of this same type of being that's specifically like known to mess up electrical equipment. And I forget the name, but like people on construction sites run into them when they tear up what's traditionally like fairyland, you know, or where fairies were known to be. They get all mm. these, you know, hiccups in their engines and things and they're like, oh well this place is cursed. We gotta get out of here, give up this project. Or they just plow it all over and, you know, next thing you know you got a, the pet cemetery movie in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gremlins we normally call them. That's what I was thinking of. Gremlins, gremlin in the machine, a Mm. gremlin in the circuit, something like that. Well, and why I brought that up, I was listening to a podcast that I've become a huge fan of recently, the Mysterious Universe podcast. Oh, yeah. Out of Australia. Those guys are great. And they were going into the 
history of the boogeyman. Apparently it goes back to the Bogart and these sort of like house spirits and little mischievous type creatures that would mess with people if you didn't leave them an offering. And golfers even have the same phenomena they call, you know, when you go over, you know, when you're golfing a bogey, right? And that literally comes from when they were putting and the golf ball was going towards the hole and it was just like spontaneously move in another direction. They said, oh, you know, the boogies are, are after us. The bogeys are messing with the game. So that's where that term comes from. But yeah, it's just really kind of uh, something I've been diving into since we have, you know, Halloween coming up. And I don't know, I feel like with the podcast, I've kind of moved away from, you know, doing anything related to like the holidays because it's like well people listen to the show months and months ahead so it's like you know what if they listen to this in july and not october right so but i do want to put some paranormal spooky type episodes out there and one of the guests that i had back on for that is paul stobbs who i'm not going to release that episode until around Halloween, because what we talked about, I don't know if you've had him on the show yet. I know I gave you his contacts. I hope you guys get in touch with each other, but really creepy stuff about clowns, man. Like, (laughs) I, I, I am, I, you know, I'd rather look into like the boogeyman and all this stuff after what I learned about clowns because yeah really some really yeah, weird stuff stops is is coming on in about three weeks i think is cool. booked in on the schedule Good i think timing. it's the one after 300 i think it'll be 301 he's okay. coming and he's from my part of the country as well he's a northerner i think he's from lancashire so i mean we could probably do it in person but this studio is not really big enough for in-person guests but, mm-hmm. but yeah that's what we were talking about yeah it's going back it was beginning of september we were messaging back and forth. You were asking me about someone who was, oh, little, Greg. And I was asking you about Stobbs. And you sent the message at, at the end saying, put yourself in. You sent me your calendar. Put yourself in on, on the podcast, on, on this podcast. And I just get fucking imposter syndrome immediately. Because, you know, I'm not an expert on anything, Mark. Like, we, and you... We talk to people who have four decades of research on a subject behind them. I've only just been alive for four decades. Or, you know, someone who spent the last five years researching a single topic for a book. Or someone who's done a three, four book series on a topic. And, you know, people with real expertise in a given subject. And I'm just not like that. I read quite a lot. I don't watch TV and movies or any of that shit. I read quite a lot, but I'm totally scattergun. So, like, I'll go from reading a book about MH370 to one about Freemasonry to one about ancient Rome to one about Queen Elizabeth. And there's no, like, I'm not focused or anything. Right. So I didn't respond to you right away, you know, when you offered me the invitation because I was like, what am I going to talk about? I feel like I should have something prepared, you know. It's not, I'm not Dave Matheson. You can't just get me on and I can just talk and wax lyrically for two hours about star myths and <laughs> ancient Greece and Perseus and all the rest of it. So I was going to talk about MH370 because I'd, I'd read some stuff about it. And I thought, yeah, I'll, what I could do, I could reread that book and maybe watch some documentaries, maybe do some online research. And then I feel like I could actually contribute something meaningful to your podcast, Mark, <laughs> rather than this chat shit. <laughs> 
Oh no! And then, uh, and then this weird thing happened to me on Saturday, right? Where I saw something in the sky, and I let it process for about ten fifteen minutes, and then I went straight to your calendar and said, "Right, Mark, I'm coming on Wednesday. I've just seen a fucking UAP." <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I just, yeah, I was going to ask you, like, because I have the same experience sometimes with the books, like going from one thing to another. And it does feel like at times there's a through line and maybe like a synchronicity will lead me from one to the next. But talk about a synchronicity there where you're like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And then the universe is like, here's something to talk about. It's like last time you came on our show and you did that. It was like a presentation about Yale mm. and the, the secret society. His skull and bones. Uh, skull and bones. And, you know, he did pictures of the architecture and slides and stuff. And it was like really easy to follow and understand and whatnot with a bit of some questions thrown in. And that's what I'm, you know, that's what we're used to on our podcast. And oftentimes we get quite a lot of people giving presentations about stuff and bringing slides Bloody some guests. One, one, I have one guest. He brought 96 slides to one point. Yeah. I nice think I've slide. interviewed that same person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fuck me. We haven't got all night, mate. Right. Um, so, yeah. Right. Do you want me to, what do you want to do? Do you want to chit chat some more? <laughs> well, here's the thing, because I do have to disagree with your comments on chit chat. As much as I agree with your sense of humility and the idea of our audience being like, oh, great. Another pair of podcasters talking about podcasting. Right. Hey, I get sick of hearing it. Right. Like I do too. We, I, I get we, it. We don't have many podcasters on our show. Right. Very rarely. Well, and uh, my logic, I, go ahead. Sorry, just I was just going to say because I get I get bored sometimes of listening to listening to podcasts cod cod pastors to listen to cod pastors talk inside baseball about podcasting all the time, right? Because it's you know I want to I like the in depth style ones. More. I'd like to know what schools of fish these cod pastors are preaching to. <laughs> maybe that's some kosher fish or something these you know we got to worry about that now well i think you and i have a rapport that's been developed i like talking to you and i think also my audience of new englanders appreciates the link to old england so you know we're coming across the pond as people like to say i don't personally like that phrase but we're reaching across the pond and talking about things and I was thinking this would be kind of like a, uh, a paranormal conspiracy state of the union type thing where you and I right. just talk about, you know, whatever's going on and the universe kind of put something really neat on your plate for, for you to, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Cause I just talked to a couple different channelers and I don't know how often you interview channelers or your perspective on that, but I spoke with a guy a French-Canadian man who channels Sasquatch. You might have seen that episode. And then I spoke with another channeler, this episode hasn't been released yet, who channels St. Germain and all these other ascended masters, right? And I think from their perspective, they would say that you seeing any sort of UFO, UAP, is a sort of like a, an activation right like these beings are all light and love in the stars and the heavens and they're sending us messages and all this stuff right 
How do you feel about that? Are you more aligned to the... <laughs> Let's no, get I'm into it then. It. Let's get into it I'm, then. No, I'm highly skeptical of UAPs. I'm more of like the Bluebeam, Project Bluebeam crowd. <laughs> I'm, I'm more distrustful of governments than little green men. And what I saw, I don't think it was extraterrestrial at all. I don't know what it was, but I just, it's a big leap of faith for me. The most complicated answer would be a, a craft from a, a galaxy a hundred light years away making its way to Earth to fly over my house. I think there's, there's I think the terrestrial answer is the one. All right. But well, I just I wanted know. to get a disclaimer before we heard your story I just wanted to make sure you weren't going to say like, oh, yeah, and the alien taught me, you know, all these wonderful things. And the Amish Inquisition podcast is now the the fountain of alien wisdom. And, <laughs> you know, you never know with some of these UFO oh, encounters. Man, I think well, and, about the hits, the well, likes. It's, you know, and it has happened. You know, there was this guy that we had on Tinfoil Hat who created his own religion after having some UFO experiences. And he's from London, I think. I forget what his name was, but his religion is called like Astro. Oh, you know, uh, Cometan. Cometan, yeah. yeah that yeah. was my fault, that, because he lives around the corner from me. He did our podcast a few years ago. Oh no, you know Kamata. You're responsible oh, yeah. for Kamatan's rise. <laughs> oh yeah. I think we've had him on maybe three times. And I don't know how it happened, whether someone saw our show and then told you or told maybe yeah. someone at someone else at Tim Fall Heart. I don't know. Oh maybe I told you. Maybe you get this guy on. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But yeah, he started his own religion, man. I didn't know he'd had an I can't remember the ET experience he had, but yeah, he's been sat here right next to me. Huh. Well, maybe I'm just misremembering and he didn't have an ET experience, but it did strike me as kind of similar to what I've heard from these channeler folks where they have this like download and this like relationship is forged with this, you know, invisible other. And, uh, you know, when it comes to UAPs, I even like bulk at the phrase because I'm like, well, what, like maybe you have a, a, like a nuance behind that because you and I have been around long enough to know UAP is a new term, right? So it was what you saw, like what we're seeing in these Tic Tac videos. Is it something along those lines where it was more of just a light than it was a, a physical craft? Tell us about your experience. Oh, it was definitely a physical object. Okay. Um, do you want, right, shall I tell the story? Well, yeah, I was just going to ask you, have you had Terry Lovelace on? Well, you know, I did. I think I did book him on Sam's spiritual podcast, and right. Sam got mad at me because he's like, "You had this guy on talking about aliens." He's like, "This is a spiritual podcast. What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "Sam, there's spiritual alien people too. There's people who believe in like alien religions and stuff, right?" And he's like, yeah. "Well, I don't remember the. That was a while ago, but yeah, we did. I did I book only, him. I only I asked talk because him I'm I'm like highly skeptical of the whole aliens thing. But right. we had him on, and he was just so credible, right? You well, know, such like a credible witness, and his story was so wild. Yeah, it was just it was a head head scratcher for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope I'm not confusing him with someone else with a similar name, but yeah, I. Do remember booking him. I just haven't spoke to him myself. I think we should. 
maybe we can work that out. But but yeah, let's, you know, get right to it. Because I know there's going to be some people who are like, stop talking about podcasting and tell us yeah. about your damn experience. Yeah, yeah. So, so we can tell if it's bullshit or not. <laughs> so Saturday it was. So that was Saturday the 30th of September. It was 11 a.m. I just got home with my two sons. We'd just been to this used bookstore a couple of miles from my house. And I'd go pretty much every month because I find loads of real gems and old books and old history books in there. And so I always go, like, try and take my boys with me and get them into books early if I can. And so we went there and we had a browse around for an hour. I picked up about, I've oh, got five, six, six books for like five pounds. So I get home. 11am and I decides we've been out for an hour. I'm going to have a coffee and have a, a cigarette on the back door in the back garden. You know, we call them fags. <laughs> Did you know that cigarettes? That's fine. We call them bogeys where I live to bring that back up. I don't know how that comes. I don't know how that came into the lore or the, the lexicon, but yeah, people call cigarettes around here bogeys, but yeah, fags, bogeys. I get the lingo, I'm hip. So I decide I'm going to have a coffee and smoke a fag on the back step, <laughs> as I do all the time. Smoke a fag just sounds weird to you, doesn't it? Sounds like something completely different. Yeah, but, I'm getting a different picture. I'm thinking you live in <laughs> Brooklyn all of a sudden, and yeah, it's an espresso in a neat little teacup, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I do this all the time, because I don't smoke in the house, you see. As a kids and whatnot. So I always go on the back step. I sit on the back step, looking out to the garden. And it's not a big back garden. And then at the end of the back garden, there's a, like a railway line, which runs north to south. And I see planes every day, pretty much. I see like the jetliners up at cruising altitude at like 30,000 feet. They tend to be going north to south generally. And then I see a lot of planes, low flying planes, traveling east to west and they tend to be military jets like small commercials small commercial jets that sort of thing i can tell you for why yeah i'll tell you this now about eight miles to the west of me is wharton aerodome and wharton aerodome is owned and operated by bae systems don't know if you're familiar with that company it's one of the largest defense contractors in the world I think it's number six, maybe, number six in the world. So all the top five are American. Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics, I think. Boeing, maybe. And then it's BA Systems, and then a lot of Chinese ones. And if are in partnership with Lockheed Martin on a lot of projects. So you remember, was it last week that F-35 crashed over your side of the pond? There was a, an F-35 fighter jet. It's mm. like the top of the range right. US fighter jet. And it crashed uh, in the States somewhere. It's a big story last week. And the BAE systems are in partnership with Lockheed on that model. So the fuselage, like the main chunk of that plane that went down over your side of the pond, it was almost certainly built eight miles down the road from me. Right. Main chunk of it. So there's, there's that defense contractor airstrip eight miles to the west. Eight miles to the southeast, they have a second site called Salmsbury BAE Systems. And that has an airstrip, but it's not active anymore. They retired that airstrip quite a few years ago. 
it's just sort of office workers and R&D and manufacturing, I guess. But yeah, they're like the biggest employer in my city. There's about maybe 100,000 people in our city and, and they're the, the biggest sort of private sector employer. They're a big deal. My dad used to work for him, actually, in, in security. He was a security guard. And so it's the type of job where when he applied for the job and was accepted, he had to sign the Official Secrets Act because they work on sort of classified jets and technology and proprietary, you know, stuff. There was, a, there was always a story of a hangar that they had there that moved. It was a moving hangar that would move for the reason of evading Soviet and Chinese spy satellites. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting organisation. And so I see a lot of military jets going to land there and sort of small private commercial planes. So they'll be bringing, you know, dignitary, you know, people from maybe Saudi Arabia or Indonesia, wherever they're selling their, you know, where, wherever they're doing deals and contracts, they'll bring people over for demos and inspections and, and whatnot. And as a kid, I was obsessed with jet fighters. I could tell you that, you know, uh, BAE used to make a, a jet called the Tornado. It was very active in the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. And, you know, I could visually tell you the difference between a Tornado, ADV, an advanced defense variant, and an IDS, an interdictor strike. I could tell you the difference. I could teleport an F-14 and an F-15 from, from your uh, Navy. So I'm very familiar with planes and whatnot. Now, as I go and sit on the back step to smoke my fag and have my coffee, in the far distance to the west, there is a plane. And it's just sort of leaving my sort of visual range. I didn't really look at the plane in great detail because I immediately saw this sort of black dot near it. This was a very grey day. There was no blue sky. It was just a really bland grey sky. It was high cloud cover, but total cloud cover. And there was no wind, particularly. There's a, lot, there's a big row of trees opposite my back garden. And you can tell how windy it is just by looking at these trees, whether they're moving or not. And it's fairly still. So I see this black dot next to the plane. And it's kind of moving erratically. Now, I say it's next to the plane. I have a problem with perspective here because... The plane itself is moving away from my point of... It's moving directly away from me. I can only see the back of it. From what I remember, it was a prop plane of some kind. I think it might be a Hercules transport plane, but we might get to that later. Hercules was used by the RAF uh, up until very recently. They've retired it three, three months ago. Uh, big military transport plane. Anyway, I see this black dot, and it's kind of moving around the plane, but I can't tell how far away or how far apart they are because of perspective. And it looks like, almost like a tyre, like a, a, a round black ring. And my first thought was, that, is that a parachute? Is it a parachute that's like grey or white coloured with some sort of symbol on it, like a, a ring, black ring symbol? And it stayed in the, the air for a while, and then it sort of stabilised. The plane is long gone by now. It's just this, this black ring in the sky. I'm thinking it, it can't be a tyre from the plane because 
big tires are really heavy. They just drop like a stone. I was thinking, is it some sort of panel or something that's come off the plane? And and then sort of, you know, with the turbulence of the backdraft of the plane, it sort of wobbled around a bit. But the thing stayed in the air and then it started coming closer. So it started traveling directly towards me, <laughs> directly towards me. So away from the opposite the trajectory of the plane and heading towards me, getting a bit bigger where I could see it a bit better. And it didn't come directly over me. It sort of did an arc in front of me. And then in a very deliberate fashion, like it was propelled, it self-propelled. It's the only way I can describe it. And then it started traveling northeast. And I can't tell you, I can't really estimate how high it was because I don't know what it was. If I knew it was something that was 10 feet wide, I could say, oh, well, that's a couple of thousand feet up. But because I didn't know what it was, I couldn't get any sort of gauge on how high it was on its altitude. And it continued to travel northeast very slowly. I was watching this thing for 10 minutes at least until it just sort of faded into it just disappeared into the grey sky. And there was no noise. Because at one point I thought maybe it's a drone. But I mean, I couldn't hear any noise unless it was a big drone that was super high and ring shaped, yeah. which I've never seen. Maybe it was intercepting the uh, plane that you saw, like, you know, they were driving near or flying in the same path and it just sort of did like a maneuver around it, like inspected it with some kind of, I mean, wow, that's really weird. So again, shaped sort of like a, a tire. Did you see like through the other side in the middle like like it was a disc floating basically well this is the thing right i i thought i could see through the middle but it was such a matte gray sky right it could have been i could have been seen through the middle of it or it could have been like a white it could have been solid yeah with a, a black ring with white or gray in the middle for all i could see yeah and the way it moved it kind of at, at some points, when it came across my, my field of vision, because at first it was coming towards me and then it sort of arced around, so it was coming across me. And it did a movement almost like a, like that, like, um, I don't how would you describe that? Like a bowing up and down as it moved, like a slow, almost like that like was it how oscillated. It was it. Almost yeah, like I a sound know. wave, the way you see a sound wave going and it's kind of like uh, up and down like that. If you're a jet nerd, or you could probably Google this, YouTube this, there was a Russian jet called a MiG-29 Fulcrum. And in Urshals, it used to do this move called a Cobra. When I don't know how the pilot did it, but it would be going along horizontally, and then it would sort of lift its head and snap forward in the air, like a Cobra striking. This plane used to be able to do it, oh. famously. And that's sort of how it moved at some points. And then it would just stabilize. And then when it came across and it was heading northeast, it just sort of stabilized and just sort of slowly carried on until it left my field of view. Wow. It was so bizarre. I've never seen anything like it. And the path it took, like I said, I see planes every day and I know the routes that they take generally. It, it followed an odd flight path, if you will. Right. That, I, that I've not seen before. Right. 
Yeah, well, I mean, given what you said about BAE being right by there, could have been a testing of some exotic craft. Maybe that's why the other, you, you saw like the jet, I don't remember what type of jet you said, but maybe that was part of some sort of test they were doing where they're like, all right, let's you know fly this by it and see what we can do. Well, I, I know for a fact that people at BAE will be working on drones and unmanned craft and such, and we won't hear about them for maybe 15, 20 years. They're, 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 they're working a long way ahead. I can't explain why I know that. Now, because people sign agreements not to share certain information. Now, do certain people that work there, like, is it known that people will just sort of kind of disappear? <laughs> you know, because if somebody is you know, in these exotic vehicles and they go and travel somewhere, like, are there any indications that, you know, people might go to work one day and not come back for a couple of weeks mysteriously? I think you'd have a job figuring that out. Right. I mean, the thing is, they're, they're a big employer. I think they employ something like 80,000 people. Right. So if an odd person went missing. Right. Well, we have yeah. Sikorsky only a few miles the other side of town from where I am now and they are owned by Lockheed Martin now. And yeah, I could tell you how, how many people they employ. I mean, the parking lots are at least three football fields wide. So yeah, there's tons of people oh, yeah. coming in and out. <laughs> yeah. These, these sites are massive, man. Right. Right. And uh, but I mentioned before about the Hercules transport plane yesterday, I was a couple of miles from my house in a district called Ashton. And I just stopped, I was at work, and I just stopped to go and get something for my dinner. Around the same time, about 11 o'clock. And one of these Hercules transport plane went directly over my head at about maybe 1,500 feet. Really low. 2,000 feet, maybe. Hard to tell. It's a big plane. It's probably 300 feet long. Yeah, it was probably a couple of thousand feet, which is low for a big transport plane like that. And so I Googled it because... I googled the Hercules to see if they were still in service and it turned out that it was only this year, I think in June, the RAF had decided that they, they would discontinue using the Hercules. So I thought, what is this thing doing in the air? And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's going to war and maybe they're dismantling it. Maybe it's a salvage. I don't know how many of them they have in operation or had in operation but maybe they're, they're going to BAE to be salvaged and scrapped and whatnot. Now, I don't know. Are these the type of like huge cargo planes that like transport tanks and stuff? Yep. Wow. So they could allegedly or possibly find maybe like a downed craft or some other black site type object and use those to transport them out of there. I mean, there's the whole Kecksburg, Pennsylvania object that fell in the... I think it was the 70s or the 80s, and people who witnessed it reported it looking like a giant bell and having weird hieroglyphs on the side of it, and it disappeared on a truck. And some people, I think, claim that you know they lifted it out to like somewhere near D.C. because Pennsylvania is not too far from there. But weird, man. Now, I do have a question about, unless there's more, I don't mean to interrupt, but I do have a question about the path that the UAP took. So yeah, go ahead. Ask. Yep. So you you, you said 
typically the planes that go over your field of view are going on specific routes, right? Yeah. This UAP took a different route. Now, when it comes to the local area and whatnot, are there any indications that there's some sort of energy field or ancient sites or things like that, that these, like a, a highway, so to speak? Because I've read, forget exactly at the moment where this specifically comes from, maybe John Keel, but there was a reoccurring pattern that people would witness these UFOs flying over A, sacred sites, and B, places where there are tectonic fissures and other, you know, places where the earth might be sort of emitting this energy, this telluric energy. And obviously we know a lot of the megalithic sites are aligned to those anyways. So is there anything up around you that maybe this UFO could be, you know, flying along some kind of weird highway? Not that I know of, but I've not done any research into sort of ley lines in my area. So I don't know. There could be. I'm, you know, I was trying to wrap my brains to where it was heading and what it was flying over, and you know, it's quite root the way it was going. It's quite rural up there. It was heading towards. It went over Broughton, so it was heading up to Garstang, which is an old market town, sort of in that direction. So I can't. I don't know, man. It's a good thing. See, this only happened on Saturday. And the first thing I did was posting in our element chat. Um, it's like the Discord. It's what you do when your Discord gets banned. You start an element chat server. So we did that uh, last year, I think it was. And uh, I sort of just gave a brief description. So I've just seen this. Um, sent a bit of my video as well because I videoed it, but it was a shit video. It was, oh, well, I'll get to that in a minute. I sent my element uh, message saying... And Helen, I think it was in there, she sent me a link to, oh, are they called Vortex? Something Vortex. The Um, Vile Vortices? Yeah, a Vortex ring or something like that. And so I looked it up and and they look like, like, a bit like smoke signals from the Native American films, you know, the old cowboy films where they set up smoke rings. It looks like one of them. I was like, no, it was nothing like, this was solid hard that's how it looked it wasn't definitely wasn't smoke and uh, i forgot what i was going on that you posted something ellen commented about vortexes and yeah and i so i started looking well that's it i started googling stuff i started looking up sort of like uap hoop uap circle you know all these trying kind of search terms I did find something from the, like the Daily Mail from like 2019, I think it was. Someone who'd seen something similar, but it was just like a balloon. It was like an inflatable balloon. It it looked really low, really small, and it was kind of like flapping in the wind. It was like nothing like this. (laughs) It was, so yeah. The way you're describing it, it could be like a donut-shaped object. I think like the scientific term for that shape would be like a toroid, right? And that's something that a lot of, at least I think Dan Winter and some other people that talk about like deep metaphysics, they say that the toroid is a very important shape geometrically there's all these secrets about it maybe even relating to you know the soul and free energy and whatnot but 
Yeah, I wonder if the way you describe the conditions of the sky, if you weren't seeing what most people describe as like a conventional UFO saucer and just the only part you were able to see was like the outer disc that goes around the main circular fuselage, maybe the fuselage is translucent or maybe it, it, the conditions were such that it just blended in. You only saw the light reflecting off of the bottom of the you know, the circular disc around it. But yeah, I often consider that stuff in the realm of like NASA and the deep state, you know, putting up a smoke screen to basically keep the public so confused about what's really going on that we never see the other side. And you know, I don't know where you stand on the whole, like I was bringing up before, like the Galactic Brotherhood out there above us, you know, that a lot of people subscribe to. I wonder if that's not a part of this whole UFO lore zeitgeist that was kind of created after the, what, Roswell and Betty and Barney abduction and, you know, a couple of other, you know, key sort of events that made a lot of people fascinated with this whole subject. And now we see they're sort of turning the table on everybody, rephrasing it as UAP, which yeah. adds to a lot of people's suspicion. I mean, this is well-treaded area, but as far as you stand on it, I mean, when it comes to these sorts of, you know, experiences that you hear about, where do you rate your experience in comparison to maybe some of the people you've spoke to on your show? I, I always sort of lean towards the most prosaic answer. And yeah, my feeling is that it was some sort of drone, mm. some sort of drone that I just don't understand why if this was something they were working on that was not meant to be public for maybe 10 years, why they would release it in an area where it was so easy to see? Hmm. Or was it a mistake? You know, I mentioned the plane. I didn't get a good look at the plane. It could have been a Hercules. It, I, it was definitely a prop plane. But I couldn't tell what... I, it was too far away. I couldn't tell whether it was a four prop or a two prop. I, can't, I just can't remember. Hercules is a big thing. It's got two propellers, on, two massive propellers on each wing. So I couldn't really tell, and I'm not sure, but I need to look this up, whether a Hercules can release its cargo bay door while it's flying, you know, like for sort of paratroopers, that sort of thing. So, you know, there is a, there's a mechanism there. If it's a Hercules and it can really open its cargo bay door while it's flying, it could just drop something off for a, for a jolly, a quick jolly around Preston on a Saturday. <laughs> so what, Saturday after Saturday morning, just a quick fly around and then disappear into the ether. <laughs> but I'm just very skeptical of the whole UAP thing. Or they were, even... or they were transporting it and it escaped. Like it was, <laughs> it didn't want to be on board with them. You know, like they were, they found it somewhere off guard and it's like boot it, it boots up and flies out of there, the back door. <laughs> I don't know. That's just, it just doesn't seem plausible to me, man. I just, I'm just so not taken in by the UAP stuff. I find it interesting. Like, you know, the other, is it David Fravor? He was on Rogan favorite, famously, the Tic Tac guys. And right. I think, yeah, there's something there. It's an anomaly and it could be something high tech 
military deep state, like you said, I don't immediately sort of lean to, well, it's extraterrestrials from another galaxy or another solar system. I'll just, you know, I think that's being used by the powers that be. Yeah. And not probably in our best interest. Now, how do you respond to the crowd that says, well, of course it's not people from other galaxies because we can't even get to outer space. We, we've never even been to outer space. We're trapped here. Yeah, I could believe that. I mean, I've not been. Right. I've not been. I, you, it's, I've got to see it with my own eyes. It's like, have you had Bart Sabrell? Uh-huh. Right, I thought I'd heard him on, yours, on your show. <laughs> he, he's great at plugging his website, isn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's Every five minutes, sabrell.com, S-I-B-R-L-E. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, he made some good, good case for the moon landing, being fake and gay, and it's like... <laughs> You know, I wasn't around at the time. It could be completely, could be right. It, it could have been Stanley Kubrick directing it. Who knows? Yeah, like- <laughs> I've heard other. I've heard other interesting cases made for that, and yeah, it definitely makes me think twice about the whole UFO, you know, conversation. I don't know how you stand on the idea of breakaway civilizations, but it could be that it's not you know, extraterrestrials, but some group of people that we're just not familiar with on a, you know, mainstream scale or on a accepted perspective scale. You know, they don't want to acknowledge that the Nazis went and started some kind of breakaway civilization in Argentina and they're flying yeah. these spacecrafts all around. <laughs> that could be it. You know, I'm not, maybe it's not Nazis, but yeah, Walter Bosley talks about that. I, I had him on the show not too long ago. And, yeah, I heard that one. Uh, yeah, the whole breakaway civilizations and how they created these flying aircrafts back in the 19th century. It's, you know, possible, but I personally, I've gotten kind of frustrated with the whole conversation because it doesn't feel like a lot of the same stuff over and over again. You know, even the channelings and the UFO sightings. I mean, it did. Maybe there was a, a heyday of UFO encounters. I just, I, I think we've passed the the peak on that, right? I mean, the seventies mm-hmm. and eighties seems to be maybe sixties and fifties. You can lump that in there too, but. Since people have had phones in their pocket, I feel like the the UFO stories have become less and less convincing. Am I maybe being pessimistic, or have you heard anything that... Throw- well, maybe that's just how it works, you know, because it's easy to just make shit up, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Whereas the first thing you ask is, well, did you video it? And, you know, everyone has a, a phone in the pocket. And I, got me, I did get my camera and my phone out, and... Right at the beginning of this thing. So when it was the furthest away at the beginning, I got my phone out and I was holding it up to the sky. And this thing was so tiny at the time that I couldn't even see it on the viewfinder of the of my phone, on the phone screen. So I made a little video. I just clicked record and just held it up in the hope that I would capture it. And I, I did. You can see it, but it, it looks like a black circle, basically. And you can only see it for a few seconds. I gave up with the phone. I thought, no, I want to watch it. Right. The thing is, when I took the video, I didn't know if it was going to go away from me or come towards me or whatever. I didn't, you know, it wasn't until after I tried to take the video that it came a bit nearer and I, you know, 
with hindsight, I probably could have got a better video, but I just couldn't see it on the screen. It was that small. So there is a video. I posted it on our element server, but it's not use. It's not worth anything. Yeah. You can't determine anything from it. Yeah. I just talk about breakaway civilizations. Like it's, I think it's inevitable, you know, the next breakaway civilization is going to be the space gods. (laughs) It's going to be Musk, Bezos, Huh. You know, they're going to commercialise space. They must have seen the, these films where, I can't remember which one, which movie it was, but there's like a colony like living Elysium? in the atmosphere. Is it Elysium? I think that's Where it. all the rich people are living. Yeah. Up in, yeah, the, in a, a big, like, fake moon thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it just looks like it's going to happen, doesn't it? They're, they're pumping that much money. When you've got people like Bezos, who's got more money than God, I mean, why not spend it all on a giant cock rocket? <laughs> well, and, and it colonized space, and it furthers the uh, the smokescreen, you know. And I wonder, you know, the argument people make about space being fake. They say, "Oh, well, NASA's just money laundering." It does seem like that's a lucrative business to get involved in. If you're Musk and Bezos, you know, you just do all these sort of fake space missions and whatnot. I mean. Again, I don't like to subscribe to any one way too hard. I like to stay neutral on things like that. But when it comes to going up to space, I would not trust a capitalist like just as much as I wouldn't trust the government. Like I probably trust aliens more than I would trust like humans. And that's kind of weird to say, given that aliens might be altogether fictional. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd rather go in a tiny submarine down to the Titanic than try and trust Bezos to take me to space. Well, and what was that? Do you think that those guys actually didn't die and they are now in the inner earth hanging out with like avatar blue people with like tails and stuff? I now they're totally dead. <laughs> I was the week that happened, which is about three months ago, something like that. Yeah, I was talking to a guy who is an ex Royal Navy submariner. He oh, was wow. retired, okay, but he was on submarines all his working life. And it, I, I, meant, I asked him about it. You know, he's a submariner, and he just laughed at me and said, "He said, so what did he say? He said a dolphin can't fart in the Atlantic without the Yanks knowing about it." <laughs> Right. He said they've got probes and sensors and all over the Atlantic Ocean. They knew the minute it happened that that thing had imploded. Wow. And that whole story was strung out for days and days and the rescue operation and all that. It's like, no, they knew straight away. They were all dead. Right. Well, and I don't know what the UAP equivalent to USOs is, but there is this whole unidentified submersible object phenomena where people who spend a lot of time on the ocean, see these flying crafts coming in and out of the water. People in, you know, proximity to large enough lakes see this sort of thing. Uh, You know, the Great Lakes here in the States or um, Lake Titicaca, my favorite lake in the whole world down in Bolivia. There's all these ancient stories of lights coming in and out of the lake. So, you know, who knows? Maybe it's it's not that these things are flying around inter, interplanetary or intergalactic. They're underwater, and they're just living in these underwater colonies. They're already here, Mark. <laughs> Dude. They're already here. Well, like the Gungans from Star, Trek, Star Wars <laughs> live under the sea. I Well, yeah, exactly. What's that big guy that everybody hated from <laughs> the Clone Wars? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah. mean, there is a whole, I hope I didn't already bring this up on the show. I feel like I was talking about this today, though. There's this whole saga of people connecting, let's say, through channeling with Atlantean people, you know, right? And they had all these wild stories about Atlantis. And there's a book that came out recently by a guy, I think his name's like Nicholas Michelle or something like that, or Michelle Neflem, something like that. Michael Leflem. Michael Leflem, yeah. He came yeah. out. He I came, have you had him? I sent you his email, didn't I? Oh, wow. No, I don't think you, I don't, maybe, but if you did, I didn't follow up with on that. I should, though, because I heard about his book where he sort of goes and backtracks some of the things that were said by Edgar Casey and some other people who have stories about Atlantis and you know Edgar Casey I mean we could do a whole podcast about him but he predicted things that scientists now agree you know like the date that the dinosaurs all died because according to Edgar Casey the Atlanteans were sick of dealing with all these dinosaurs so they started some sort of weapon or device that made all the volcanoes start erupting. And they ended up breaking their island into five pieces. And now, yeah. you know, that's the Atlantis under the ocean. Continental right? drift. Well, the date that Edgar Sacy gives, which I don't remember off the top of my head, is exactly when the, you know, United Geologists, Scientist Commission or whatever say that's exactly when the dinosaurs died and there's the fossil wow. record for that right so yeah i mean it gets into some other wild angles where they're doing these genetic experiments and doing all kinds of uns unspeakable things to hybrid animal and uh dinosaur type creatures and all kinds of other crazy stuff but some of the things that these guys in like the 1800s were predicting about well, I guess they weren't really predicting it, but they were saying things about Atlantis that sound like what we have in modern culture. And it's like, well, how yeah. could they have known about cell phones and flying cars and stuff in the late 1800s and early 1900s when they were channeling this information? You know, well, there's that kid, that kid who, who wrote, is it called A Dweller Between Two Worlds? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, he's yeah. from California, he's in the Wild West, kind of frontier, yeah. and he just starts writing this book. He's talking about like his other life in Atlantis. He had like a cell phone, he had like yeah, flying yeah, cars, iPad, airships. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was mental, absolutely mental. It's a good, good book. I, I, I enjoyed it. I have the book, I heard about it on the podcast i mentioned earlier mysterious universe they did a great job right. retelling it and yeah so now i'm i still have to dive into it it's somewhere behind me but yeah that whole realm of like i don't know information to me is so fascinating and i feel like it's disconnected from this ufo conversation now the UFO conversation is more in the realm of military, more in the realm of, you know, I guess you can call it like ultra politics, you know, this like hidden layer of politics. Whereas when it came out, it was kind of like a new age kind of lumped into like the paranormal and whatnot. It really has separated from that. that, that I think that's a symptom of the, the age we live in. Mm, mm. You know, we're very, we're much more materialistic now than we were 100, 150 years ago. Mm. And so we naturally look, I'm going to say we, you know, as a whole, our society, our culture, always looks for the materialist solution to a phenomenon. 
Whereas maybe 100 years ago, you know, in the era of Blavatsky in the late 19th century or whatever, people would be more open to looking for esoteric or paranormal explanations for phenomena that they see. But the Edgar Casey one is so strange. It's like I didn't really, I've never really done any research on him, but reading that book, it was pretty pretty dumbfounding the kind of stuff he was doing and the healing, you know, the, and you know, people think, Oh, he's a con man. He's in it for the money. He, he wasn't really making any money. Right. He sort of, he seemed to be doing, doing this for the love of it. And it seemed to affect him as well. It was like, he nearly died, didn't he? A few times. Yeah. And at the time he was very well respected. Like the, the president of the United States at the time went and visited him. Tesla visited him. I mean, all these different Ford, Henry Ford visited Henry him. Ford, allegedly. Yeah. yeah, all these different people claimed to have sat with him. And, you know, he, you'd come in there for your broken back and, or you know, your back problems. And he'd tell you that, you know, oh, you were screwing dinosaurs in your past life on Atlantis. <laughs> and that's why you got back issues. <laughs> got to you know you got to meditate on that bro just think about you doggy style with that diplodocus and and atone <laughs> Taylor got him <laughs> that's really what a lot of these guys were channeling and it's i don't know if paleontology was you know very i don't know like publicized it back then but it is interesting to hear about all these different things that have come true since like on that scientific level there was a couple of other Oh, the other thing that they said was scientists figured out from genetics that you know the common human ancestor came about around 200,000 years ago. And that's exactly when Edgar Sacy says that this whole genetic experimentation stuff came to an end and humans were basically created the way they were. And that first iteration of, let's say, like the woman... Lilith, as she's called, was the same soul as Mother Mary, and her counterpart, her male counterpart, is the same soul as Jesus. So there's this whole Christian through line too with all this, which that same thing was true in the UFO community. You'd have these people who were very, you know, mystical Christian, and they'd have a UFO sighting and they'd see Jesus. And I wonder, from that military perspective of all this. If that wasn't some sort of psychotronic type of test where they were able to project yeah. this into someone's mind, and that's why there's such a huge variety of UFO encounters, because it's based on what was already in the person's mind and not like some sort of contiguous event that was happening to all these people. It was more predicated on the witness themselves. Like it, it kind of like they were opening up a door into their mind and showing them what they wanted to see. It's in the eye of the beholder. Right. What's interesting is when it happens on a mass scale. Mm. I don't know if you heard of Zaytun, the Zaytun incident in Egypt. No. Tell us. This was probably some sort of plasma phenomenon. But there's there's a church in a town in Egypt called Zaytun. And I want to say it was in the early 70s. The, there was a mass witnessing of an apparition of the Virgin Mary on the roof of the church. And this went on for years. It went on for, I think, four years, maybe longer. And hundreds of thousands of people saw this apparition. 
on the roof of this church and they would see, sometimes they would see just the Virgin Mary and sometimes there'd be like a couple of doves floating over her head. And there's even photographs of it. And it was one of Greg Little's, it's in one of Greg Little's books, one he wrote with Andrew Collins. Okay. He talks about it. And I'll tell you someone we both know, Elkington, David Elkington. Yeah, I remember when I think I put you in touch with him. He's great. Yeah. In his book, The Ancient Language of Sacred Sound, he briefly talks about the Zytoon incident, just as a, you know, sort of a, a bit of a side note, only like a small paragraph. But yeah, but that's like hundreds of thousands of people seeing, seeing the same thing. So it's like, it's almost like it's the culture that imprints what it wants to see in the, and you know, Greg Little's ex- explanation is this is some sort of plasma life form. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's wild, conscious plasma. It's like cool. the fifth state of matter, isn't it? And that would explain why maybe there's like a component to this that reflects on the Earth's electromagnetic nature because this plasma is sort of like moving along these energetic corridors and we just happen to intersect them with or you know attuned to it right because i think some people especially now they just dense to it you know and like yeah it's not even just that kind of stuff it's like you know the difference between someone who prefers beer over like a spliff or a joint you know like a lot of people are still like maybe closed-minded to certain things. And I wonder if that's maybe an obstacle to experiencing this stuff. Not that everybody should just go be a hippie and, you know, let all their inhibitions aside. But I think, you know, there's an aspect to our modern perspective that's kind of double-edged where a lot of people move towards the scientific kind of materialist perspective Mm. and just as many reflect that oppositely in a whole myriad of beliefs i mean it's really hard to pin it into just one the other thing to take into account you you know as well as being more materialistic and maybe being less open to these experiences if these experiences are electromagnetic in nature if they're to do with the toroidal field of the earth or a plasma you've got to think about the sort of electromagnetic pollution that we're surrounded with in modern society. Mm. There's all sorts of frequencies being beamed here, left, right, and center. And maybe that's blocking us out from some of these experiences. Right. Yeah. Wow. I don't now, know. now, let's just say 370, which I know you did some research on recently. Let's just say that MH70 ran into, as Greg Little calls it, these plasma beings. What if it was instantly, you know, sent through a portal or just maybe vanished, vaporized, so to speak? I mean, there are all these accounts of people being spontaneously combusted. Who's to say that can't happen to something like a plane flying over some kind of crazy magnetic anomaly in the middle of the ocean, right? I mean, who knows? And then there was a a cover-up. Cover up to sort of get you know let the wreckage sink. Make sure that the search operation is happening in a completely different part of the world. Well, because the yeah, there's a massive. I mean, I don't know. I, my my thinking is that it was shot down over the South China Sea, probably by the by your lot by the Americans, and that's why the whole story was concocted that it veered off to the west, to the Indian Ocean, and the, the pilot went mad and decided to do a mass murder-suicide. Huh. And then the sort of 
they got his computer, his flight simulator, simulator at home and uploaded some stuff onto that to make it look like he'd planned it. But it's a curious one because we've no wreckage, you see. Well, there there is wreckage that's been found off the in Madagascar and in, in, in East Africa, on the coast of East Africa, but it's so dubious. There's no right. ID plates on any of it. It seems to just turn up. It seems to turn up in random places. There's just so much. That whole story just completely stinks. Oh. And yeah, I think it was a massive cover up because someone fucked up and shot down something that they shouldn't have done, basically. Okay. Because there was a whole aspect of that story. And I don't know if this was, again, just sort of like a smokescreen disinformation to throw people off. But wasn't there somebody of importance on the flight? Not that the other people weren't, you know, not to diminish the lives lost, but there was somebody on the flight who had some sort of military affiliation or deep state sort of affiliation. Is that correct? Or was that just... I think think there was one person who was an IBM employee. Mm, Okay. Um, You might be... There was the other flight... Well, you see, it ties into MH17, the one that got shot down over Ukraine like three months later. Hmm. Do you remember that story? No. And it was... We pinned it on the Russians. We said it was the Russians who who fired the book missile, was it called, that shot it down. But I think it, it probably was the Russians that shot it down, but that was payback mm. for the West shooting down MH370, mm. I think, because it was all Westerners pretty much on, on Malaysian flight MH370. It was from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. Uh, what do you call it? A red-eye flight when it goes in the early hours of the morning? Yeah. And uh, there was issues with the cargo. So lithium batteries was on the cargo manifest. I think two tons of lithium batteries from Motorola, which is a bit odd. And I think there was two and a half tons of mangosteens, which is a fruit that wasn't even in season at the time. But Kuala Lumpur Airport is, has, a, has a reputation for being a hub for smuggling. And so the theory is that the Chinese captured something of military importance and they were smuggling it from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. The Americans got wind of this, maybe fired a warning shot, or decided that we can't let this in. We can't let the Chinese state have this. Right. So we're going to have to make a going to have to make the decision. And they shot it down. They sent the whole rescue operation on a wild goose chase to the Indian Ocean. They spent four years, or was it six years? home in the Indian Ocean, found nothing, absolutely nothing. $200 million they spent, I think, on just on the uh, search operation. Uh, the Australians were heavily involved in that, who were obviously part of Five Eyes and Buddies. And uh, the Indonesian, Malaysian government was seen to be completely inept. They were sort of patsies, they were blamed. They were put in front of the media and, and shown to be inept, and I think that's because they were doing us a favour, basically. They were taking their orders from DC right. in how to play it. No statement from Obama. No message of condolence for the victims, anything like that. It's all very strange. The, the one thing that, if you do much research on it, the one thing you will come away from it with is that the official story is absolute horseshit. Uh, it's it's it doesn't strand uh, doesn't uh, stand up to credulity. 
Right. And no well, black very, box. So, you, so Diego Garcia was another option people came up with. There's an American air base in the middle of the ocean right. there in the Indian Ocean. And that was one theory that was flying around, no pun intended, that it was redirected to Diego Garcia. And then who knows what happened to the passengers in the plane after that. But that that doesn't add up to me. I don't think it, it went into the Indian Ocean at all. I think it went in over the South China Sea, pretty much where it was supposed to be going, and it was taken out. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, and it is interesting, that whole political dispute there in the ocean, China trying to build these fake islands to, you know, claim that part of the world. And yeah, I wouldn't put it past the U.S. to, you know, have a convenient story ready to go for something like that. And Mangosteen is probably a cover on the Chinese part for some sort of weird, you know, tech, right? Because the lithium's there too, right? So you got to kind of think in context fuckery that goes on at the highest level we have no idea about absolutely it's like you know i'm talking about bae systems my dad was a security guard for them and he's been retired for 20 years now but back in the day in the sort of the mid late 90s his main job was capturing protesters and essentially kidnapping them and driving them off site and throwing them you know, taking him into a company Land Rover, taking him five miles away and dumping him because there was a big controversy at the time because in the 70s, I want to say the mid-70s, Indonesia had invaded East Timor and it was a Cold War. It was a Cold War thing. In, in Indonesia was sort of on our side. East Timor was veering to the communist side and there was a deal done with Kissinger Kissinger and Gerald Ford would have been president, so that would be mid-70s, won't it? And they gave Indonesia the okay, basically, to do this invasion. And BAE Systems got wrapped up in this because they were selling Indonesia the planes to, to you know, kill civilians and whatnot in East Timor. Wow. And this thing, just it just rolls on and rolls on. We've had it with Yemen recently, haven't we? Selling mili- military jets to the Saudis to bomb people in Yemen. It's, it's so fucked up. Right. We spend so much money on killing people. It's just absurd. Yeah. Yeah. There's an economy around war and, you know, the whole, what do they call it? The three bricks or something like that of the world where you have the first world, second world and the third world. And it's just all this divide and conquer on the part of the elites, you know, and the military is there you know, right hand and the media is there, you know, left hand. And I'm sure there's some other body parts that we shouldn't mention that are doing some unsavory things, but yeah. That'll, that'll be Hunter, won't it? Hunter <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure. I haven't heard much about Hunter recently. He's been kind of kept quiet uh, after the whole cocaine in the White House thing. I find it interesting that he gets a secret service detail protection detail but rfk jr doesn't yeah even though though, like his was it his dad and his uncle right right yeah you'd think so but i guess because his dad wasn't president he's not opted in yeah not he could never get to that i'm sure he would have been if they didn't take him out but yeah we recently did a couple interesting episodes on jfk one where some guests told me that jfk faked his death and actually pulled 
a sort of Hollywood stunt to make it look like he got shot, which was very compelling. I got a lot of flack. Yeah. Oh, I'll send you the link. It's a great. Oh, I remember. No, I remember. It's Jay Widener. Raised by Giants. um, Ryder Lee and Jay Widener. Yep. Yeah. You're familiar with them. And Jay's written a a couple great books. Uh, One I have on the shelf, The Cross of Hende. And he's written about the moon landing being faked and. But it was really compelling stuff, and I had a lot of people like, oh, this is crazy, you know, JFK obviously yeah. died. And then I said, all right, let me give that side of the argument some airtime. So I had an Ole Demigard on and asked him about J- JFK, and he's an expert on all that sort of stuff. And he can't I've please... I've the movie, you know, it made me want to see because they were talking about sort of different footage or the way they'd enhance the footage. Right. Of of the was it the Zapruder film is right it right right yeah so it was compelling it made me want to watch the film and see what they were what they were seeing that no one else had seen before you know yeah I recommend it I'll send you the link to it and yeah I don't want to give too much away because people should still go see the film but the 60th anniversary of the JFK assassination is coming up so it's it's worth talking about and when it comes to you know the audience you can't please anyone because when i had jfk on or i'm sorry when i had ole on to talk about how jfk did die people were commenting jfk never died at dealey plaza this is garbage so you know you just can't please anybody but i tried to air both sides of the conversation and then i had a james corbett on and he said that jfk never gave that speech about secret societies it was actually about the communists which if you go to the jfk website where they have all of his speeches archived you can listen to the speech and corbett was right they don't jfk isn't talking about some kind of illuminati secret society he's talking about the communists so yeah it's just weird how you know these things get like changed and skewed and manipulated and a whole sort of generations of people are left kind of ignorant to what really happened i don't know what to think about it but yeah definitely as we sort of said at the beginning about how you guys are fascinated with american politics in the uk i think what happens here definitely affects the rest of the world so there's a a reason to care and i'm sure the JFK assassination affected more than just Americans. So, yeah, it <laughs> definitely affected the Italians and the Cubans, that's for sure. And the way things get edited and changed, it highlights the importance of having physical media. Mm-hmm. Like you have, you've got a ton of books and stuff behind you, mm-hmm. like I have. Mm-hmm. And the same goes with TV, movies, music. The way everything's going on to streaming now, it's not going to be long. I'm sure it's already happening where things get digitally altered and then they get re-released and, oh, it it almost leads into that, is it the Mandela effect? Where you notice, like, there's a famous one with Star Wars, isn't there, where C-3PO has a silver leg. Yeah. He's all gold, but he has a silver leg. I mean, they could digitally do things like that easily. But if you've got a DVD from 10 years ago, or you've got a book, I mean, we're seeing it, all the time now in the UK, books being re-edited. Mm. So you, you must have heard of Roald Dahl. Yeah. He wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and yeah. The Witches and the, the, the BFG. So loads of books that have been turned into films. It's massively popular children's author. And they're, they're going through his books and changing it, changing words out and phrases out. Right. Because he says things like fat woman. 
Oh, God. And you, and you can't say fat woman or beastly, beastly woman. Oh. We can't have that anymore. And they're editing them. But, you know, that's why I've got a physical copy of them all, and that's what I read, you know, to my kids. Who's going to represent the beastly women out there? They need a role model. Come on, my it's not is, like you could edit the beastly women out of reality. <laughs> but this is it. This is it. They want to change uh, the way people think. You like see. Dr. Seuss, too. They did that with Dr. Seuss because, they, you know, apparently the the smoogles and the boogles and the woogles were all, uh, you know, racial terms that he was slyly floating out there. You know, all this nonsense. It's like, well, if that's your interpretation, what do you think a kid's going to think of that? They don't know. I don't know all this racial prejudice history. They're not going to think that when they read Dr. Seuss. They're projecting their own right. racism onto it. Right. You know, right. so that's why they're seeing it. They're going after Agatha Christie as well now. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's like one of the biggest selling authors of all time. And they're going, they, they want to go through her books and edit bits out and change things. It's like, can we not, just leave it? Let it be. Now, do you just think that's, do you think that's just sort of a publicity stunt because they know that this whole woke crowd will go out and buy those books again? <laughs> and these, you know, dusty old classics are sort of building up because they publish so many of them. Everybody's got one in their library. Yeah, it's not Big farmer; it's Big Publisher. It's a <laughs> yeah. Big Publisher conspiracy. Well, I think they do that with, they definitely do that with like music where they have an artist who's very popular and then they kill him off. And, you know, now the publishing, you know, the record company owns all the royalties and whatnot instead of the family or whatever. It's like maybe they do that with books where they have to like smear these authors, retcon them, you know. I think it's the opposite. I think it just makes the original books even more valuable. Mm, There's mm. the old story of, was it Dre? Dr. Dre, when he was talking about NWA and the first, I think theirs was the first album or the first single or whatever to get that sticker on, you know, the black and white sticker, parental guidance or something. Right, right. And it just, they exploded after that. Right. The the sales went through the roof because people don't want to be told, you know, that this is good for you, bad for you. They just want to be left alone and decide for themselves, make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. It's a whole nanny state. It's interesting how it's flipped politically in the UK. So when I was growing up, when I was a little kid, there was this woman called Mary Whitehouse, and she was a a right-wing conservative uh, censor. She wanted to censor everything, all this rap music. And she was the kind of, you know, they they banned The Life of Brian, the Monty Python film, I think. I think they banned that film in this country at one stage. Anything like that, anything blasphemous, anything, you know, lewd uh, lady chatterley's lover i think was may, might have been banned by dh lawrence there's all, all sorts of things that were banned hmm. whereas now it's the left it's the left wing who want to ban everything and i'm thinking i've not changed i'm the same person i was 20 years ago how come it's the other side who want to ban things now yeah it's just it boggles the mind it's like it's been the same in the last few years with the whole pandemic thing Again, going back 20, 30 years when I was a kid, the people who were talking about the corruption of the pharmaceutical industry and big government and the cosy relationship between regulators and pharmaceutical industry were the people on the left. Now, they're the biggest cheerleaders. They're the biggest salesmen for vaccine makers. Right. You know, putting their selfies on with the plaster, their band-aid on their arm and changing the profile picture 
I got super jabbed with the magic vaccine and all this shit. It's like the world's gone topsy turvy. Well, it seems like to put it in like political terms, it seems like under the conservatives, we have a police state where all of the pop culture gets you to be a criminal and then you go and get money into the the military industrial prison complex. And now it's the left and, you know, cut your, you know what off and shoot yourself up with our, you know, sanctioned poisons. And then it's all the big pharmaceutical company now. It's totally shifted, but it's the same mechanism of like, oh yeah, this is, you know, well, I guess it's a different mechanism now because I wonder if the young kids are going to start just like saying the word retard and being racist just for a goof, (laughs) just for a laugh because they've been, you know shoved this social justice yeah. warrior crap down their throat for so long. I mean, who knows? I have faith in the Gen Xs. Are they Gen mm-hmm. Zs? Some the faith that they'll, I think they'll it starts over. Say, I think now they're Gen As. They're, Gen As, yeah. yeah. A, I, I, B, C, we're going to start back again. I think they'll come around and like you said, they'll start rebelling because that's what kids do. They rebel. Right. Against whatever the orthodoxy. So if they get this... Gender, rainbow, pronoun, bullshit, shoved far enough down the throats. They'll reject it. Mm, mm, mm. That's my hope. Well, that's why we do this conspiracy paranormal state of the union, Phil. You know, because we've got this Western world that we're in. And I get listeners, I'm sure you do too, especially given you're in Europe. You probably have a more Europe-centric audience. You probably get people in other countries, but... We were just charting in some country, I forget, I think uh, Sweden or something. So we got people listening all over the place and shout out to them and shout out to my UK audience. It's definitely late over there for you. I don't want to keep you too much longer. What is it, midnight now over there? No, it's 11. Oh, okay, cool. So you're a little further west than I thought, I guess. But yeah, as we wrap up here, brother, any exciting interviews you're you know, anticipating or any great shows you've done in the past few weeks that you want to tell the audience to, to check out as we wrap up here. God, my memory's terrible, man. I know we had, we had Robbie Marks on last week. who's an esoteric artist and he's very well, well read, very good talker, very easy going. It was nice, easy conversation. Enjoyed that one. We've had a week. I'm amazed that people agree to do our podcast, really. We get, you know, it's a bit of a privilege, really, to get to talk to the people that we do. And as far as going forward, well, we've got... Who have we got this week? Oh, RN Voot this week. We've got a guy who is an author and is a YouTuber, and he's looking... He's found a correlation between DMT, the actual shape of the molecule, and the Orion constellation. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty mad. It's pretty mad. And he's in the UK. He's written three books on the topic. I've read the first one. I've not got the second two yet. But he's, he's a big advocate for psychedelics and things that, which I'm sort of on the fence on. I think they're maybe not for everyone. Well, and it's interesting that you're interviewing that guy and now you're going to have Paul on in a few weeks too because Paul's the opposite. He's He was, you know, he waded in the psychedelic waters and now is firmly uh, opposed to it and says, you know, hey, you know, those psychedelics are taking us to a place that we shouldn't go to, right? And I have never partaken in that experience, that particular slice of reality, but I have interviewed the man who 
allegedly synthesized it for the first time, Rick Strassman, right? He was played a part in kind of bringing it to the world. And I just was so struck by how he his persona was that, you know, nothing against the guy, you know, he was a nice guy, you know, nice enough to share time with me on my show, but I just felt like he was so clinical. It was like talking to a doctor and I maybe I'm just maybe turned off by that for some reason and that's a me thing, but it just made me feel like, you know, DMT was something that was more scientific and clinical and like just not what I was accustomed to from psychedelics. Like it was more of an experimental laboratory type of thing. And of course, you know, I'm talking to a guy who spends all his days in a laboratory, right? So what do I expect? But it definitely made me more cautious than I was because I've done mushrooms and other psychedelics and, you know, I've, I've had a really good experiences with everything. I've never had like really a terrible experience with any of that. But DMT, you know, from what I hear, you know, just seems like it's something that I don't need to tangle myself with. Maybe I'm good with what I've got, which is a heaping helping of marijuana. (laughs) I think I'm ready for giving it a go, I think. Wow. Obviously not really because it's totally highly illegal in this country. No, just Um, your cousin's going to do it and tell you about it. I think that's the way to go. I, I mean, I'm curious about ayahuasca as well. Have you ever read The Cosmic Serpent by Jeremy Narby? No, but I think somebody gifted that to me. It might be on the oh, shelf. Yeah. It's such a good read. I could not put that down. It's, yeah. I think it was written in the late 90s now. But he was like an anthropologist student kind of thing who went into the rainforest. Mm. And his theory on ayahuasca and the serpent, this is what was interesting, was the correlation between different people's experience, that they, they all keep seeing the same thing, these these freaking serpents, these giant luminous, luminescent snakes. It's like, holy shit, like what's going on? Why are all these different people seeing the same thing? It makes you think that there's something to it. And he relates it all to DNA and the double helix and oh. and the sort of DNA of light. If, if I'm remembering it correctly. Okay. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to this Sunday. I think it's going to be a good one. Great. But, yeah, you mentioned you, the, the sort of cross with him and, and Stam, not Stamets, Stobbs. There is this kind of dividing line in our community, Mark, isn't there? Yeah. Between the New Age, the zeitgeisty, astrotheology, Jesus was a mushroom crowd on one side and the Christian side of the mm-hmm. conspiracy mm-hmm. groups on the other side. Well, what's interesting, though, is, and I think the Christians would probably be maybe slightly offended by this if they were more dogmatic, but uh, a lot of the New Age stuff reflects Christian stuff. And, I mean, maybe that's just because they were engaging with that sort of material when they came up with it but you know like when it comes to genesis and these ancients the the stories of the ancient times it lines up with a lot of what edgar casey and the guys we were mentioning before were talking about you know and i just i feel like there's a common kernel of truth in it all you know a shared kernel of truth i think it's healthy to be skeptical of, of both sides I read a book a few years ago. I just found it on the shelf called Game of Gods by Carl Tykrib. 
Okay. And look at all my me, me sticky notes. I've marked it all the way through because it was so fascinating. And it was charting the rise of the New Age movement and its ties to United Nations and other NGOs. Right. And this, you know, it's portrayed in this book as a grand conspiracy of a one world religion that's going to take over. Tying into all that. the UN agendas that we're all familiar with. <laughs> and so, you know, I've got that in my mind, as well as I love hearing about astrotheology and Mithraism and all the rest of it. And, you know, I'm so I'm on the edge. I'm sat firmly on the fence. And the big difference with me is that a lot of people who find Christianity later in life, like I think Paul did, and a lot of people we've spoken to, is that I just haven't had that experience. You know, people talk about a personal experience, a personal relationship with Jesus, this sort of message. And I would love that to happen, but it's just not happened for me. So I'm sceptical on both sides of the aisle and sort of playing it safe for now in the hope that maybe something will happen. But I did feel a pull towards Christianity during the pandemic. Definitely a heightened spirituality. And even though I've... You know, over the years, I've t- since the Zeitgeist movie onwards, I've taken in all this symbolism of Jesus and all these arguments. And then, you know, you had him on the other week, The Odd Man. I'll listen to The Odd Man. He'll do an episode debunking astrology or debunking these links between Horus and Jesus. And it's like, I don't know what to believe, man. I just, I'm lost. Yeah. Yeah, I find myself going on both sides and... I'm sure there are people who listen to the show from all different perspectives, you know, based on the messages I get. But yeah, I'm always sort of waiting for that next new theory in that sense to align with the greater pattern that I'm seeing. You know, I'm not quite like solidly stuck on any one idea, but there's this sort of pattern that's forming I like putting those pieces together. I think that's part of what makes these interviews so interesting and fun, especially when we have like authors on and whatnot to talk about these different pieces. An author I've been really fan of lately is Nigel Pennick from over yeah. near your neck of the woods. And Name, name's familiar. Yeah. yeah, he wrote tens and 20, probably 20 or 30 books. I mean, he's written a bunch of books, wow. dozens of books, but he writes a little bit about everything and spends a lot of time talking about sort of uk centric culture too so you might be wow interested is he still in around him. as well i think so yeah i think so i'd be happy to interview him i i tried to find his email and i would i was not able to i even asked the publishers and i don't think they they gave it to me at least they if they did he, i i didn't follow up on it has he done other podcasts I don't know. I'll look that up right now. That's, That's usually the first. I usually look that up, and sometimes you'll and you'll find an author, and they haven't done a single podcast, and you think, ah, it's maybe just not his bag. You know, it's maybe not into. Well, and I've had that happen it. where I've done that and become someone's first, you know, podcast interview, yeah. or maybe first in a long time. And yeah, uh, well, I had that with Comatan. We oh, were his yeah. first podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Introduced him to the world. Unleashed him on the world. Oh, man. <laughs> wow, look at this. He's only been on one podcast. It was in 2019. It was the Fair Folk podcast. Now, given right. 
the app I'm using might not be a total comprehensive search of every podcast, but mm. I, it's fair to say it's probably the only podcast he's ever been on. And I know he's still alive because I, I think he published a book in the past year or so. So, wow. Yeah, I gotta we got to get in touch with this guy, Nigel, and I'll uh, send you some links, but... Phil, this have has three, been fun. Three way. Yeah, or we could, yeah, we could have them on <laughs> together. Have a three-way. I'll, I'll smoke a fag on back, back step. Smoke some and fags, you, get an Eiffel yeah. Tower going. <laughs> you could interview him. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think we ought to have you on with Juan next time, and we'll just chill and yuck it up. We've been doing... Uh, <laughs> I'll warn you, because you said you might take voicemails for your 300th. There's a paranoid pranking podcast out there, so just yeah. be careful. I don't know who's involved with it, but I, I heard that they like to leave prank voicemails on podcast voicemails. So, Oh, well, yeah, bring it on. It'll be live. So I love it. Just, yeah. <laughs> when is that going to be? This Sunday? This coming Sunday? Or no, Sunday. next Sunday? Sunday, Sunday after. What date will that be? 14th, 15th? The 14th. Okay. All right. Yeah. I really didn't know what to do. You know, I, I thought about sort of inviting people. You know, I could have invited you, Charlie, and different guests we've had on over the years. And I just thought, no, I can't be asked. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to get pissed instead. All right. Well, hey, I feel like you should let the let the past guests call in. Give us, uh, you know, give us the number and whatnot, so some folks can call in and uh, I do that. Wish you guys a happy three hundredth. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to make a big deal out of it, Mark. To be honest, you know, no. it's just a number. It's just a number. Well, but when you've been doing it for six years, it's a big milestone for sure. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I got off track because I just put out too many episodes and now, you know, if I celebrate 300th, it's like kind of, it's like nine months after I celebrated the 200th, so. Did you not do one with Sam for your 300? No, that was the 200. Was that 200? Yeah. I remember listening to that. Yeah, 300, I think I had on, I don't remember, it was only 30 episodes ago and I don't remember, look at that. It was definitely somebody who was a great guest, you know. All my, I think all my guests are pretty great. Some of me accepted. It was oh, it was Stephen Snyder, a good friend. Yeah, oh, I, I like Snyder. You have you had him on? No, no. Well, There's that many, Mark. It's like because we only do one a week, and uh, but and like every the last Sunday of every month, we don't have a guest. We mm. we do a, it's called a barn raising episode, right? It's, there's no video. We just chat shit with no clips, no no nonsense, just pub talk. So it's only like four episodes a month. What's that? Forty eight slots a year for a guest. Yeah, and there's that much to go on. So like, yeah, Steve Snyder. There's loads of guys like Vice Out. I like to have Vice Out on. Yeah, but you know, it's like to be honest, I do focus more on UK people now as well. Mm-hmm. And it's I've got nothing against you lot over there. Nothing against Americans. I just think because we're in the UK and we, the audience is mainly in the UK, it's good to highlight UK authors and YouTubers and whatnot. Well, Steve has a new book coming out, so I'll make sure he sends you a preview copy and yeah, maybe you could get him on because he's well worth well worth having on. Yeah. Well, cheers. All, All right, Phil. This has been great. I love having you on. I like this uh, reoccurring show that we do. 
in tandem. Maybe we'll put a little more planning into the next one. But I think this came out swimmingly. It was a great show. I loved hearing about your UAP experience. And now that I'm moving to a more rural and secluded area where we're going to be keeping our eyes on the stars more because it's good stargazing area that we're moving to. So who knows? Maybe I'll have my own weird experience coming up. Fingers crossed for you, Mark. I hope it happens for you. Wow. I love it. Folks, please go check out the Amish Inquisition. You heard the man, Amish Phil, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Peace out. All right, and that was our conversation with Amish Phil. He is the man. I really enjoy speaking with Amish Phil. The Amish Inquisition has had me on as a guest uh, twice, and I've had Amish Phil on as a guest twice, and we've done a swap cast together. So we've done we've done quite a few podcasts together, and I am grateful to make as many friends as I can in this you know digital community. You got to keep certain people at arm's length. I've learned that the hard way. Uh, but for the most part, everybody seems to be really, really kind, especially the listeners of the show. You guys are you know, never failing to surprise me with your kindness and impress upon me how much you love the, the stuff that I do, which is really gratifying. And I, I don't know that I'd keep doing it if I didn't receive such uh, overwhelming support. So really from the bottom of my heart today on my 29th birthday i thank you and if you have some extra cash you want to send me a little birthday money you can do that on venmo or paypal at mystic mark you can send me uh, some money on cash app at cash symbol mark steves jr Uh, if you have any trouble finding those just send me a message and they're all linked in the episode description it's also available linked on my website myfamilythinksimcrazy.com but over the past few weeks we've received a a huge number of people that have answered my call to support the show so sit down buckle up i'm going to be giving some shout outs here folks Uh, all right ready set we've got okay i think I, i i don't think i've read this one so again if i repeat anybody's name i apologize andrew Kristen B, Stark Waffen, Joe E, Sean C, Ashlyn Lee, Latif, Marcus G, The Harmonic Egg, Jonathan L, Ed Carvalho, Jason, Chris K, Richard A, Douglas D, Nick L, Marty, DJ Rogers, Dennis Rogers, is that the same person? Brandy, Jeffrey B, Boca de Guerra. Whoa, Boca de Guerra. Hold on. Where are you from? Uh, US, I think. Oh, no, no, no. No. Boca de Guerra, you are a new friend from Singapore. Awesome. I noticed this the other day. I was like, hmm, SGD. What is that? And turns out we have a new supporter out of Singapore and they're donating Singapore dollars. So shout out to you, Boca D. 
get at. Um, then we have TB, shout out to you. Uh, shout out to Carlos G, shout out to Jenny. Uh, shout out to Andrew, who reached out to me on Instagram. He's an Aussie, I'm pretty sure. Shout out, Andre. And then uh, Marcy, you're not an Aussie, Marcy. Uh, shout out to you. So yeah, that's everybody. And uh, if I mentioned your last name i apologize uh, i don't do that for every shout out sometimes i just accidentally read your full name anyways that is our newest patrons thank you so much for supporting the show we do have some new supporters on substack although i don't know if any of them are paid so i'm not going to give any shout outs until i know for sure so hang tight if you're there and uh yeah a lot of great people signing up, answering the call. Uh, if you're wondering, we still are 70% of the way there. Uh, we're almost 30% at our goal. So 30% there, 30% uh, of the way closer to reaching our goal of 250 patrons. So thanks to all the kind folks who helped get us 30% of the way closer, but we still have 70% more to go. So you are one of those 70 people. Sign up now and support the show. Do it for my birthday. Do it for Amishville. Do it for your karma. Do it for whatever the whatever excuse you can find. Uh, I'm already loading the Patreon and the Substack up with bonus episodes that you can't hear on the free feed. And I am also with the skill of a, a surgeon's scalpel slicing very select parts of the episode uh, out of the conversation and saving them just for you supporters only so don't miss out go there today and of course we got to give a big shout out to our friend uh, garrett over at the hit kit although his machine is still out of operation looks like we got some good news things are going to be getting back in motion soon so all you hit kit fans out there don't be dismayed there will be a chance again one day to buy your very own hit kit and i am looking forward to that because i want another custom hit kit i have an idea for a design and uh yeah so that's all for me folks today's my birthday so i'm going to keep this very short like i said if you want to give me a one-time donation or just send a kind of message you can do that all the ways to do that are linked in the description even my email is in there and also you could just leave us a, a nice five-star rating and review for my birthday that'd be cool too so anyways uh thank you so much i love you all from the bottom of my heart thanks for helping this show consistently stay in the top 20 philosophy podcasts on apple and until next time folks immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science
masses hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters know the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on ya Subliminal messages, hijacking perception Tricking the population with holographic projections We see through it the system is unraveling I'm astral traveling Through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey I embark with the squad Forever spitting truth Like Mark on the pod Gotta know the facts Never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up In the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade I awoke in a deep underground military base Zero recollection of how I got to this place Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders Must have been extracted when they crashed into us Animal hybrids contained in the cages A lion with the eagle head Monkeys with reptilian bases Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit All of a sudden the wall flickers away Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft My getaway, I run to the nearest one See a guard knock him out Rob him for his plasma gun Hop in the ship, take the controls they highly intuitive, I figure it out easily Lift off, accelerate through a tunnel until I see the light Fly into the sky, get flanked by six F-35s Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality, looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy, you might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health To be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are we the ones who gonna expose the whole facade What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.